Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here today. I also want to take the time to, to express that it's a joy to have more laborers in the vineyard here. Uh, we are very thankful uh, for, for Rick and for Brad and Teresa uh, joining the, the flock here. And we hope that as we continue to, to grow, we can be a support and encouragement to one another. I want to start out today by asking the question, what are you looking for in a church? If we were to go door to door in our community and ask that question to, to every single person, we'd probably get hundreds of different answers. A lot of people are looking for different things. Their religious experiences, family history, personal needs and preferences, their different stages of life uh, make for a very diverse religious community around us. In fact, if you were to look in a five-mile radius of our building, did you know that there are approximately a hundred churches on the map? And evidently, each of these churches tends to more effectively serve the needs or preferences of some segment of society. And so for many people, choosing a church is just a matter of discovering what group is the right fit for them. Recognizing this, many churches make it their aim to uh, cater to the needs of their community. Their style of worship, structure of their services, the focus of their ministry is largely determined by what it is that people are looking for. In fact, you, you may or may not have heard of the Saddleback Church in Southern California. Uh, it boasts a Sunday attendance of 20,000 people. It was first established by Pastor Rick Warren, who is known for writing The Purpose Driven Life uh, in 1980. To kick off their inaugural service back in 1980, Rick Warren uh, wrote a letter of invitation to 15,000 homes in their community. And featured prominently in the middle of this letter, which can be found on their website, they said, do you think attending church should be enjoyable? Well, we've got good news for you. Saddleback Valley Community Church is a new church designed to meet your needs. How do you grow a church to 20,000 people? Tailor make it to meet everyone's definition of enjoyable. And sadly, that's what many churches are aiming for today. However, God would encourage us to change our focus. Galatians 1 and verse 10 Paul here speaking says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Here Paul says these two things are directly in opposition to one another. Uh, seeking to please God and simply seeking to please men cannot work together consistently. Our greatest concern must not be what people are looking for in church, but what God is looking for within his church. Churches must not be designed to meet my needs. They must be structured to meet God's design and conform to his will. So instead of looking for my church, I need to be searching for God's church. Where do we find God's church? Now, my answer today is not going to be 4415 Old William Penn Highway, Monroeville. Uh, the, the point of this series of lessons that we're getting ready to enter into 
is not that look what we have figured out and you know other people have it wrong. That's not the point. The point is to challenge us and our thinking more than anything. To make sure that, that we are committed to looking to God's word. To find what it is that his church is. There's only one place that we can be sure to find God's church, and that is within the pages of our Bibles. And so in this series, we're going to examine the church of the New Testament. We're going to see how it ministered, how it taught, how it evangelized and worshipped. And most foundationally, we're going to look at the example of the church's one true architect, Jesus Christ himself. And so starting this month, we're going to talk about benevolence versus big business. We're, we're going to... Uh, contrast what the American church has become in many ways, uh, what we maybe even tend towards ourselves, to what we see within the scriptures. We're going to make this a four-part series that we'll address at the beginning of each month. But we're going to start here with this idea of benevolence versus big business. And if your Bibles aren't already open to John 2, the passage that Jason read for us, if you open your Bibles there now, John chapter 2. As you turn there, I want to share with you a quote from Richard Halverson, who used to be a chaplain for the U.S. Senate. He said, Christianity began in Palestine as a relationship, moved to Greece and became an idea, went to Rome and became an institution, then came to America and became an enterprise. A 2016 Georgetown University study revealed that religious institutions in America take in around $378 billion a year. That's more than Apple and Microsoft combined. Why is that? Well, it's because religious institutions have found their way and to just about every facet of the market, of the private sector, healthcare, education, music, film, apparel, just to name a few. And while certainly it is good that the influence of Christ spread to every aspect of our society, it's challenging to stop and question whether or not the American church has lost its focus and strayed from what God designed the work and ministry of his church to be. In John 2, we see Jesus' reaction to the entrepreneurial spirit among the religious community of his day. Read with me again here in verse 14 through 16. It says, And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. I, I want you to pause for a moment and try to imagine the scene. Imagine you're there. Imagine you're standing in line getting ready you know, to buy your sheep or the, the sacrifice that you're getting ready to make. And all of a sudden, this man comes in flailing around a whip. And he drives out man and, and beast together. They're all scurrying away, stumbling backwards, trying to avoid the, the lash of this scourge. And as he gets closer, he, he starts grabbing the, the bottoms of the table and flipping them over with, with coins scattering across the floor. And as everybody backs up to a safe distance away, 
He says, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of You know, there's perhaps no other place in the Bible that we see Jesus express such fiery passion. And what was it? What was it that got him so passionate? Making his father's house a place of business. You know, if you can picture Jesus' reaction to the state of his father's house in this passage, can you picture Jesus' reaction to the state of the American church today? You know, you think if, if Jesus went into many church buildings today, how many coffee shops and gift shops would be ransacked? We might say, well, that's not the same thing. Jesus isn't rebuking any type of business transaction, just the corruption of it. It is true if we look in the synoptic accounts of Jesus cleansing the temple. He specifically says that they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. They're very well. Um, seems to be corruption going on here as well. But that's not what he says here in John 2. He simply says, you have made my father's house a place of business, a marketplace, a house of merchandise. You know, why do you think it was that the Jews were selling these things in the temple? Well, it may have seemed very logical to them, right? People are coming here to worship, and under the Old Covenant, what do they need to worship? Well, they need animals to sacrifice. And maybe people are coming from, from far distances. They don't want to uh, transport their livestock here. So when they come to Jerusalem, they need to buy their li livestock. And certainly, what, what more convenient place to have that done than right here in the court of the temple? You know, they're, they're coming to make these sacrifices instead of having to, to carry these animals through the streets up to the temple or to sell them right here. And the idea of the money changers, you know, as people wanted to contribute money to the temple. People coming from foreign lands that use different currency, they would need to exchange their money for the proper currency to, to make those donations. It all seems very logical, very reasonable, right? And yet what was good business was corrupt religion. That is not what God intended for his house to be. This was to be a place of prayer, a place of worship. And here they had turned it into something else entirely. Is that something that we're guilty of? Of changing God's intention for his temple? And we might say, well, the temple is not the same thing as the church building. And I would heartily agree with that. But the fact that the temple is not the same thing is the church building doesn't make this less of a danger for us. In fact, it makes it more of a danger for us. Because what is the temple, God's temple under the new covenant? Not some physical building. It is his church, his people. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here we read, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What is God's spiritual house today? We are. His church is. And what purpose is this spiritual house to serve. Here we're told to offer up a spiritual sacrifice to God. 
The purpose of the Lord's temple, the Lord's church, is not to bigger and better itself, not to become some popular social club or house of entertainment, but to worship and honor and glorify and serve the God who owns this house, who purchased this flock with his own blood. And so, brethren, we can't forget that. Any time that we assemble... Any time that we pool our collective resources together, any time that we function as a unit, that we are functioning as the Lord's church, we need to remember what the purpose is of this temple. We are not free to engage in whatever business seems good or profitable or enjoyable to us. When we are functioning as the Lord's church, we must be about our Father's business. And so this passion that Jesus shows for maintaining the purity of God's house, we need to have that same passion for maintaining the purity of God's church, what he intended for his people to be, and the business that he intended for them to engage in. We need to be about our Father's business. Do you remember that phrase uh, that shows up in uh, the New King James Version or King James Version back in Luke chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 2, remember when Jesus at 12 years old goes with Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And as the Passover feast has ended and they begin their journey back, there's a, a large uh, caravan going. They figure that Jesus must be with some other family member or somewhere in the caravan. They get farther away and they realize he's not there. And so they go back into Jerusalem searching for Jesus and in verse 46, if you read with me, in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 46, it says, Then after three days they found him in the temple, and sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Some versions say about my father's business. Literally, it just means among the things of my father or in the things of my father. What, what is Jesus talking about here? What Was he helping the priests organize their annual bake sale? What was he joining in the temple basketball league? Uh, was he staying so that he could participate, you know, in the, uh, the temple's lock-in that they were having? No. His father's business here, we see in verse 46, it says um, that he was in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His father's business in this context is feeding upon spiritual teaching discussing matters of God's will and character revealed within the scriptures. If we are to be about our Father's business, about the things of our Father, we must remember exactly what that is. In Mark 11, uh, another account of Jesus cleansing the temple, as we already mentioned, uh, here when he clears out the temple and he keeps people from, from bringing in any merchandise, he says there in verse 17, Is it not written, 
My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a robber's den. What was God's house intended to be? Not a place of business, not a robber's den. It was to be a house of prayer, a place to seek God, to pray to him, to thank and praise him. It was to be a place of worship and devotion. What about the Lord's church today? Are we intended to be anything different than that? And we're not just talking about a physical building. We're talking about the assembly. We're talking about the Lord's church as as we function as a church. What are we intended to be? What business are we to be about? Well, what we see is in spiritual edification and worship and in devotion. Look in 1 Corinthians 11. We referenced this passage today in our Bible class. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20 through 22. Here we see, toward the end of verse 20, it says, In your eating, each one of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. Here, many of the Christians in Corinth uh, were were likely taking the the self-indulgent ideas of worship from their pagan background and starting to bring that into the Lord's church. And so when they were assembled together and they were intended to be remembering the Lord's death, they were intended to be engaging in worship. Instead, they were engaging in feeding their own appetites. What does he say? He says, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Was there anything wrong? with Christians spending time feasting and enjoying food and drink within itself? No, not necessarily. You can go do that in your own home, he says. But when you are functioning as the church, when you are assembled together as the Lord's people, that's not what you're to be about. We need rather to be engaging in worship and devotion and spiritual edification. You know, it's not that any social activities that we may be involved in or or any business activities that we may be involved in are inherently wrong within themselves. Certainly not. If if you want to, uh, you know, put together a basketball league, if you want to uh, put together a a sewing club, if if you want to have a Super Bowl party at your house, which you are all invited to today, by the way, if you'd like to come over to our house afterwards, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not... What the Lord's church is to be about. What God's temple under the new covenant. Was it wrong for them to sell sacrificial animals or exchange foreign currency? Not at all. No, in fact, that that was probably something that did need to happen as people were coming from far distances. But it was not to happen within the Lord's temple. We can't mix together what... We can and maybe even should be doing as individuals socially and what God intends for his church to be. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. We read, What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. What does that word edification mean? Literally means building up. 
We, as living stones, are to be building up God's temple in God's house. To build the edifice or the structure of God's temple, his church. And to do that, we need to be building up the spiritual well-being and growth of his people, these living stones. The, the, the purpose of our assemblies, the purpose of our church is not to, uh, you know, enlarge our bank account or, or to enlarge our profit margin. It is to build up God's people, his now, having said that, does that mean that monetary transactions have no place within the church? Well, well, certainly not. We see that we are to be a giving people. And there are needs in the Lord's work that require that we do maintain some type of treasury. But the means of acquiring those funds and the type of work that they were used to support are much different in the New Testament than what we see in many modern churches today. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 and 2. Here Paul gives the church instructions about uh, the use of their collective funds. He says in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. Here, these are instructions given regarding a specific need. But I think we see that they lay down a principle that Paul taught in all the churches of Galatia and presumably beyond. Here, they were to fund this work of taking care of the needy brethren, in this case, in Jerusalem, by taking up a weekly collection on the Lord's Day. They were not instructed to come up with some sales-driven fundraising scheme. They were not to support the Lord's work through bake sales or selling things in their gift shop or anything like that. They were to do it through free will offering. They were to fund this work of taking care of needy brethren by taking up a collection. And I think we can make the point here as well that they weren't to wait until a couple weeks before Paul got there and say, okay, Paul's coming, we better get this together. Well, what we see is this letter was written uh, probably at least a year, if not two, before Paul actually came to collect these funds. And so for all of that time, they were maintaining some type of treasury. It's not that, that we as a church shouldn't be involved in, in having a bank account or having money in, in any way that, that's needed as we seek to do the Lord's business and the Lord's work. But this was not a market-driven ministry. It was a generosity-driven ministry. God is honored when we freely and joyfully give to his church. Look in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Here Paul, in his second letter, before coming to actually collect these funds, tells these same brethren in chapter 9, verse 7, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, in the past I would hear people talk about the five acts of worship. You know, and we sing and we pray and we 
teach and we give and we take the Lord's Supper. And I always thought, well, I, I don't know if all of those are, are really defined as worship directly or, or necessarily. But, you know, the more that I think about giving within the scripture, the, the more I do see it very much as an act of worship. Think about worship in the Old Covenant. How, how did people worship God? Well, very often they were to bring of their flock or their herd. They were to bring of their produce. And they were to dedicate a certain portion of what they had to the Lord. And in doing that, they were honoring God. They were glorifying God, showing that, that he is deserving. And so when we think about our collection today, we, we shouldn't think of it as just some, some necessary evil. That yes, we, we need to do that so we can take care of it. No, that's an opportunity for us to honor and glorify God. God is glorified. God is pleased. He loves the cheerful giver. And yet, when we take that away, and when we start deciding, well, you know, that doesn't make as good business sense, and we really can't raise as much money when we just ask people to, to give something for nothing. And so, you know, to, to, to really get this thing growing, we're, we're going to need to figure out some other point. And, and we're going to need to start giving people something in return if they're going to actually put, put money into it. Consider what David thought about his worship to the Lord back in 2 Samuel. Here, David is getting ready to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And he's getting ready to do this on uh, this, this threshing floor. And uh, Arana, the man who owns it, uh, offers, says, David, you can have it. You have the threshing floor. Here are the animals to make the sacrifice. And David says, no. It says here in 2 Samuel 24, 24, However, the king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And then he makes the sacrifice. David recognized that to, to give something to God that, that didn't cost him anything was not truly honoring God. Was not truly worshiping God. And yet... Is that not what we're doing when we try to convince people to give by what they can get out? You know, there, there are churches, even in our area, who, who pride themselves as being what they call marketplace ministries. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. But the basic principle is that we, we don't want you to just give your money for nothing. Uh, that's not what we're asking. We, we want you to come to our coffee shop and you know, buy a pastry and buy a t-shirt and, and buy this other activity or this other service, and that's how we're going to make all our money. You don't need to just give, necessarily. Brethren, that flies in the face of what God intended for his church to be. What God intended the attitude of us to be as his church, and honoring and glorifying him through free will offering of our And so the title of marketplace ministry is not something that we should find pride in. That should be a label of shame. God intends that, yes, we do take in a collection. Yes, we do 
use money for, for his work, for his business, for his purposes. But we need to make sure, brethren, that we don't make the Lord's church into something that Jesus would see as whipworthy. We need to make sure that, that the things that we engage in and the attitudes that we express are not, are not things that would motivate Jesus to come in and turn over the tables. So what about us? I don't know at all want to leave the impression in this series that we've got it all figured out and those other people, you know, well, they, they have all the problems. Well, no, the, these lessons are intended to be challenging to us and our thinking as well. It's not that we are uh, immune to the dangers that we're looking at here. What, what is our attitude when it comes to the business of the Lord's church? Are we truly interested in benevolence and doing God's work willingly, devoting ourselves to our Father's business, or are we corrupting that into something else? I'm thankful uh, that the group here is committed to trying to be the church that we see in the New Testament. But brethren, we certainly got growing to do. We have plenty that we need to work on as well. So what about us? Maybe you recognize today that, that in your own heart, uh, your worship and service to God have in some way become more self-serving, more about uh, what, what you can get out of it. We need to make sure that our motivation in serving God is the furtherance of his goals, the, great, the, the furtherance of his glory, the spreading of his kingdom, and not simply biggering and bettering ourselves or what we can enjoy out of it. Brethren, I, I hope that we can share Jesus' passion for the purity of God's house and the importance of being about our Father's business. If you recognize some change that needs to take place in your attitude today, if you recognize something that, that we as a congregation need to think differently about, need to work differently on, let's make those changes. Let's make sure that we, each day, are striving to be the church that God intended for us to be. We're building each other up as living stones into a spiritual house that is fit for God's presence to dwell in us. If you in any way need to make a change, if you need to become a part of the Lord's temple for the first time, by God's grace, you can have your past life washed away. Your sins can be buried in the waters of baptism. You confess your faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and he will raise you up out of that water to live a new be a stone in his spiritual house to have God's spirit dwell within you. Do you want that today? God wants that for you. God wants a relationship with you. If you're willing to turn your life over to him at this time, or if you need to turn your life back to him, won't you make that known to us now as we sing?